0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room for more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at the And so here we're in session 33, the time of great judgment. We want to understand that, uh, that God is the one who is actually the source of the judging. And again, I know that's not a comfortable theme. But it's one that we can't avoid. It's one that we can't um, change or get around. Revelation 18 verse 8 says, Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Now, that was a pretty intense list of bad things. I don't know if you caught those. We got death, mourning, famine, and consumed by fire. You just want the culprit to be anybody but God, and it's God. God is the one who's doing this, and it's this judging her is talking about in in the short version, judging all of the evil uh, systems of the earth. Uh, He's talking about the harlot Babylon, but we'll study that later. Right now, you can just call her everything that is wicked and evil on the earth in that hour, okay? And here we've got God is the one bringing the judgment. Part of the way that that's going to happen, it's not the only way, but part of the way that's going to happen is you've probably heard about the seals, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of God's wrath. Well, those seven, 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 those 21 judgments are a significant source of the way that God is going to bring judgment to the earth uh, during the end times. And I gave you some of the uh, chapters there just as a kind of a quick glance You're talking about all of chapter six, all of chapters eight and nine, a big chunk of chapter 11, and then all of chapter 15 and 16. That's a bunch of chapters, man. that's a good solid chunk that's dedicated just to these three judgment series. Well, then you've also got the three woes. If you're like, what is all this stuff? There's all these seven this and three that. Listen, I'm really not even trying to get you to understand all the details so much as I am trying to blow your mind with how much details there are. And just go, wow, there's a lot of Bible in Revelation dedicated to the subject of end-time judgment. It's a subject that God doesn't shy away from. We're not talking about one Bible verse here. We're talking about lots of chapters, lots of sub-themes, lots of ideas in the book of Revelation where God is unashamedly saying, I am bringing judgment to the earth and it's going to be a really big part of the end-time scenario, the end-time story. So these three woes... You know, this is uh this is three of the judgments in the Book of Revelation. A heavenly angel or a or an angelic messenger comes declaring there are three woes. What in the world for an angel to describe a global reality as a woe? Heaven calls this thing that's about to happen to the planet a woe. That's like really profound for an angel to yell it, to scream it, to proclaim it across the earth. God's about to send three woes. They're really bad. Woe one, woe two, and woe three, woe, woe, woe. Got some woes coming. For an angel to declare this in the midst of a, of a, a few chapters or, or a book, book of Revelation, in the midst of a book that's already got all these judgments and difficulties, for God to send an angelic messenger to go, oh, we really want to make sure we highlight these three bad things. Let's call them extra bad. They're not just... Part of the judgment series, these three are called the three woes. Now, a woe, you can just kind of picture that. It's God causing great devastation to the earth, to those that trouble him and trouble his people. So God is bringing three woes. All right, top of page two. The judgment of the harlot. And again, that's you know, part of the, the interesting thing when you're trying to study 22 chapters of Bible you can't get it all in ever in one night or three. So there's lots of things in this series that we have to defer and go, don't worry, we're gonna talk more about that later. The subject of the harlot Babylon is a subject we're gonna spend multiple sessions on later in this series. So if you're like, I don't really get that, go, re- go read Revelation 17, 18, scratch your head, ask your friend, we'll get there, I promise. <clears throat> but a significant portion of the book of Revelation is dedicated to God judging the end time harlot Babylon. Look here, Revelation 18, five through seven. Her sins are piled up to heaven. The end time uh, government, religious system, economic system, the sins are gonna be piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back Double for what she has done. Pour on her a double portion of her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as she gave uh, others. So here we've got God making it very clear, Revelation 18 here, verse five through seven, that God is intending to bring judgment to the harlot, but the harlot isn't just one person, isn't just one nation. The harlot is the entire global system that has aligned itself against God has aligned itself against God in every way, economically, religiously, governmentally, by policy, by law, the way that they treat the saints. Every aspect of the global reality in that hour will be in alignment against God. And God says, I am going to judge that. It just so happens that that is the planet. But God's not just saying everybody on the planet. He's saying everybody that's in agreement with those policies, with her ways, with the harlotry and the the harlot's ways. I'm gonna bring judgment. Again, I'm just trying to point out the judgment is coming from God. God is the one responsible. He's the one pushing the buttons and driving the ship. God is the one bringing judgment in the end times. Now, let's talk about the timing of the tribulation. Let's talk about that term for a minute. You guys have probably heard the term the tribulation or the great tribulation, probably heard both of those terms. Well, I want to tell you that whenever we hear the term tribulation or the tribulation, that's referring to a seven year period of time. Okay. It's actually the final seven years. So a time is coming when we're going to enter into the final seven years and we're going to know exactly how many days are left before Jesus comes. Exactly how many, because we'll know when that seven year period starts that the end of it is the seventh trumpet and the return of Jesus in the sky. So the seven years are referred to as the tribulation. But then there's this term, the great tribulation. And you'd think that those two things are the same, and they're not exactly the same. The great tribulation is the last half, the final three and a half years. So there's the tribulation, it's seven years long. The great tribulation is the second half of that. It's the final three and a half years, and it's called great because it gets worse. Like if things weren't bad enough during the first three and a half years, the second three and a half years are going to get whoa, mad crazy. And that's actually when all these judgments start occurring. The first three and a half years are actually going to be fairly tame by comparison to how crazy it's going to get in the second three and a half years. All right? The first three and a half years, it's a tribulation, but the first three and a half years is mostly bad for the church. The first three and a half years is a time where all the false messengers in the earth will be declaring peace and safety, the Messiah has come, and they're actually going to be referring to the Antichrist. They're going to be saying, the good guy has come, he has brought peace and safety to the earth, he's caused wars to cease, he's supplied the food for the food crisis, he's fixed the issues of the skirmishes over here, and this nation against this nation, he has brought peace and safety, and that will be horrible for the earth but the earth will celebrate it greatly everybody but the church the church will say this peace and safety that you're declaring that you're all excited about it's the devil that will make the church very unpopular that is why it's called the great tribulation because the or it's called the tribulation because that first three and a half years it's going to be very hard for the church that's standing true to what the word of god says Because the church is going to be saying, that guy that you guys voted in is the Antichrist. He is not a good dude. His policies are all a setup to enslave the earth and to kill, kill many, many, many people. And the earth will be looking at that as Christians. You're so arrogant. You're so off. You're so, all you've been wanting all these years is peace and goodwill on earth. And we finally have it in this guy. And now you're saying he's the devil? Oh, we just hate you. You guys are horrible. You're the worst. And this will cause extreme persecution for the church. This is the first three and a half years. The second three and a half years, the Great Tribulation, it's where God will now be releasing judgment on the Antichrist. That judgment will not be coming on the church. That judgment will be coming on the Antichrist and the system Across the earth that is in alignment with him and every way that is evil. So the first three and a half years, it's tough for the church because we're being persecuted if we're holding the line. The second three and a half years, it's horrible for the earth and the systems and the wicked because God is releasing the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls of wrath. So the first three and a half years, bad for the church. Second three and a half years, bad for the, those that are wicked that are in alignment with the Antichrist. So just kind of get that in mind. It's seven years. It's got a halfway point. It's really clear that it's got a halfway point. The first three and a half years, bad for the church, persecution. Second three and a half years, bad for the for all those that are in alignment with evil. All right, pretty simple. Well, now, I just I gave you a couple of verses here talking about that first three and a half year period. First Thessalonians five, and then also at the top of page three, uh, three, so Daniel nine verse. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When will that happen? Well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains come on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Now, this is, what this is describing is people are saying peace and safety, peace and safety. And they're convinced that that's real. But they're still in the first three and a half years. And then suddenly at the three and a half year mark, boom, all this destruction will start coming. And no one will be saying peace and safety anymore. And all this destruction coming, do we remember who opens the seals The lamb. Jesus is the one releasing the judgments. So part of Jesus' coming is Jesus releasing his judgments that are preparing the earth for his coming. So while everybody's saying peace and safety, Jesus is gonna get to the three and a half year mark. He's gonna then start releasing these judgments. Top of page three, Daniel nine. This is talking about the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. It's talking about seven years. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering until the end that is decreed and is poured out on him. So this is describing the, the seven-year period broken up into two parts. Okay, Let's talk about that second half right now. The second three and a half years. Eruption into chaos. This is Revelation 6, 1, and then also 7 and 8. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. This is the beginning of the Great Tribulation. It's the beginning of the second three and a half year period of time. The beginning of the second three and a half year period of time, the beginning of the Great Tribulation is seal one. Jesus opens the first seal. That's the beginning of the Great Tribulation. It's when terrible, terrible things start happening in the nations and on the earth in a a very increased and dramatic way. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I looked and there before me was death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by wild beasts of the earth. I just gave you a little snapshot there of what those seals are going to look like that Jesus the lamb is opening. Then Revelation 13, also this second three and a half year period of time. The Antichrist was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is describing the the rage that the Antichrist is going to be bringing out on the saints. Just as a point of clarification. The Antichrist is going to be playing the role of a political leader the first three and a half years. He's gonna be—he's gonna have a first and last name that everybody's gonna know. He's gonna be a household name. He'll be a global name. But at the three and a half year mark, that's when he declares himself God, and he starts raging against the church in full aggression. Okay, it's been building that first three and a half years, but at the at the at the halfway mark, God is now gonna start judging the antichrist, and the antichrist is gonna put into place the system of the uh, antichrist worship movement. The Mark of the beast, the abomination that causes desolation. Maybe those are some terms you've heard. And so it's going to cause great chaos in the earth. Now, I just want to give you a couple of phrases out of the book of Revelation that are talking about this great tribulation. Remember, our subject tonight is the time period of great judgment. Well, that time period, if you want to get down to it and and refine what we mean by that time period, we mean three and a half years. We mean the great tribulation. So I'm going to give you a few phrases out of the book of Revelation that are used to describe the great tribulation period. And anytime you see one of these phrases, these are timing phrases. In fact, there's three phrases that all say three and a half years, but they say it different ways because God was trying to make it abundantly clear how long it is. And it's actually very helpful that the church knows how long it is because it's going to be so bad uh, that Jesus said in Revel- in uh, uh, Matthew 24, If the time were any longer, every human being would die. This is going to be such an intense period of time. The book of Revelation makes it clear in three different ways that we are talking about a very specific set period of time. And that period of time is three and a half years. And it's called three and a half years, three different ways. So let's read those. It has been given to the Gentiles and they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. There's time uh, designation for three and a half years, one. If you get out a calendar and you start counting months, 42 months is three and a half years. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Just so happens if you can do math, 1260 days is three and a half years. Next, this is now in Revelation 12 verse 14, but still in Revelation, the very next chapter. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that it might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she will be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. If you didn't catch that, a time equals one year, times, without any other distinguishing factor of how many times, times equals two years. One time, one year, times, two years, and half a time, half a year. This is three and a half years. Three times in two chapters, we're told three and a half years in three different ways, okay? We're supposed to understand the great tribulation period is a calculable number of days, 1260. That's really good news because if it were longer, there wouldn't be anybody left, okay? Now, I want to briefly, in part three, talk about the time of judgment, which is also described as a time of judging rewarding and destroying we're still talking about the same period of time we're talking about the time of judgment but in this time of judgment heaven describes it in a very interesting way revelation 11 verse 18 top of page 4 if you're in the notes this is talking about the second coming of jesus and it, it doesn't mean the moment he appears in the sky it's talking about The season of him coming, which the season of him coming includes the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, him coming, the rapture. I mean, it includes a lot of different things. So when we think about the second coming of Jesus, I want to tell you, if your idea of the second coming of Jesus is he sticks his head through a cloud. He says, hey, and then everybody's gone and we're all disappeared and the planet is confused about what happened. You have completely misunderstood what Jesus coming means. When Jesus came the first time, he came and he was here for 33 years. He came. Jesus coming is not him sticking his head through a cloud and going, hey. And then the rapture happens in secret and everybody's gone. Jesus coming means Jesus is coming to the planet. And when he comes, he's going to make his home here on earth forever. We're talking about the second coming the thing that all the prophets prophesied was the coming of the messiah not the secret rapture in the sky of the messiah the coming of the messiah the coming of jesus to the earth to rule and reign on the earth jesus is coming his coming is described in this way a time has come for judging rewarding and destroying the time of judging i gave you revelation 19 19 through 21 all will be judged I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. The rider is Jesus. But the beast was captured, the Antichrist, and with it the false prophet. And the two of them were thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That is judging. Judging. Revelation eleven eighteen 18 says the time has come for judging. Man, he made good on that. Revelation eleven eighteen 18 is just one phrase that gives us a picture, a window into many realities that are going to happen in the rest of the book of Revelation. Then Revelation 19 zooms in on one of those moments of what judging looks like. Jesus coming for a time of judging. What about a time of rewarding? Revelation 22. Now, again, I'm just pay attention. We just read the verse, the time has come for judging, rewarding, and destroying. That's Revelation eleven eighteen. 18. Revelation 11, halfway through the book. Revelation 11, okay? The time has come, Jesus appears in the sky for, rewarding, or for judging, rewarding, and destroying. But now let's get another little zoom in. Let's now look at Revelation 22, which is later in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, 12 through 13. Look, I'm coming soon. Now this is Jesus describing his coming from a different angle. And when I come, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus saying, I promise you, when I come, I'm not just bringing judgment, I'm bringing reward. When I come, my coming is related to rewarding the saints for the things that they have done while in their flesh. Next, time for destroying. Oh my gosh. Revelation 16, 18 through 19. Now, I'm going to get a zoom in. We're in Revelation 16, which is five chapters after Revelation 11. Okay? Revelation 11 says it's time for judging, rewarding, and destroying. Let's now skip five chapters over into Revelation 16. And let's see a zoom in moment of some of what that destroying looks like. Okay? Revelation 16, 18 through 19. There came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. Okay. Worst earthquake ever. What happens? Well, in a micro, just in a zoom in on Israel, a zoom in on Jerusalem, the great city, Jerusalem, split into three parts. Jerusalem became three pieces parts. Three cities, if you will. One over there, one over there, one over there. It was split into three parts. But that's not the worst. This statement here describes the totality of this earthquake. And the cities of the nations collapsed. That is destroying. Jesus, when he comes, he's going to bring destroying as part of his, uh, his package deal Revelation 16 describes an earthquake that quote the cities of the nations collapsed as a result of this earthquake. That's destroying. That's intense. All right, now we're going to do for these next couple of pages. We'll go fairly quickly. I'm just going to read some of the uh, ways that this time of great judgment. Remember, session 33, a time of great judgment. We're gonna talk about some of the ways that this time of great judgment manifests, okay? Passages about the coming judgments. First, part A, judgments declaring his wrath. These judgments that are gonna happen, they're multiple times in the book of Revelation, they're described as these judgments are vehicles of God's wrath. God has wrath. And he is delivering his wrath to the earth via these judgments. They called out to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it. This is right in the middle of the seals. Okay, this is one of the sealed judgments. The people of the earth who are lost and hate God recognize they're being wrathed that God is wrathing at them. That these judgments aren't judgments only. These judgments are vehicles of God's wrath. They are God communicating his wrath. And they realize it. That's pretty intense. Next, part of the ways that these judgments show up, part of what's being communicated is intentional torment. We don't like the idea that God would intentionally torment humans. God is going to intentionally torment humans. Revelation 9.10 They had tails with stingers like scorpions and in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. It even says in that same passage, I could have included the next verse or two. It even says in that same passage, they will try to die and can't die. Suicide won't work for five months. They'll try to die to escape the torment, but whatever it is that's so supernatural about this particular judgment, they will be unable to die they will only be allowed to live and be tormented. That is so intense. The book of Revelation is filled with so many intense things. His judgments are described not just as wrath, but as punishment. Now, wrath could be, you know, I, I don't know, uh, uh, unfounded. Or wrath could just be, you know, an explosion of anger. Wrath could be stirred up in a moment, Um But punishment, and it's not with God, but punishment is specifically, you did some stuff. I've got something for you. You did things that earned you what's about to happen tomorrow. It's punishment. You're being punished for things. Not the the church. God knows how to reserve the righteous in the day of judgment while punishing sinners for their unrighteousness. God knows how to bring judgment on one person and completely save and protect the person standing right next to them. He's done it a thousand times in the Bible. God's judgments in the Bible are never arbitrary. They are exacting, they're like homing missiles. God sends judgment exactly where he wants it, exactly on who he wants it, and he protects those that he wants protected. So we don't need to have any like thought process of, oh, if all this judgment's happening, how am I gonna live? Just love God. God's the one sending the judgments. Love God, you'll be fine, okay? His judgments are described as punishment, however. Revelation 17, one. Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. Skipping uh, to the next page, page six. Eventually, the way that this season, this, uh, this period of time of great judgment, the way that it ends, all of those who resist God who hate God and uh, who are opposed to his ways, all of them go to a place of everlasting torment. I was driving down the road the other day and I was I was hit with the fresh revelation of everlasting torment. And the, the weight of that, i was just struck by it again. I, I mean, we call it hell, but we use that term, So much, I don't know that we really are thinking about it. It's not a bad place. It's everlasting torment. So actually, that five months where they were given that sting, it was one more opportunity to repent before all those who experience that will go into not five months of torment, everlasting torment a place that's designed to torment men and women, to torment human beings, a place designed by, it's actually to torment uh, demons, fallen angels, but it works just as good, maybe even twice as good on humans. But it's a place that's designed for torment. And it's a place of everlasting torment, a place you never get out of torment. That's where this thing ends. We're coming to the end of a season of time where people have been able to hear the message of Jesus and turn from their sins. We're coming to an hour where all mankind will be judged and assessed and either rewarded or sent to the lake of fire. That's really intense. The wicked will be trampled in the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. That is the most intense line in the Bible. I can't think of anything more intense than trampled in the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. That is 10 mouthfuls of bad and God's one that penned it. Like I, some person didn't come up with that. That was God's idea. That's how serious he is about this. We're talking about a time of judgment. We don't want to be unaware of this time of judgment. We want to be professionals in our understanding. We want to be those that aren't floating through the time of great judgment. We want to be those that understand it with great clarity, who can help lead others through it, who can help instruct others, who can help warn others, who can help be a light and a witness in the midst of it. We, this is a time defined as a time of great judgment. We cannot afford to have level kindergarten understanding about this time when we've got 150 chapters in the Bible, about the end times, like it is a time to get clarity, understanding. All right, moving on. These judgments—they're not too severe. We're going to spend a whole session talking about this. These judgments are referred to the judgment. The worst things—the the are the the, uh, the lake of fire, the earthquake that causes all the cities to collapse. The You pick it. These judgments are horrific. And the Bible in the book of Revelation, same book telling us the judgments, the book of Revelation, multiple times in the midst of the judgments, says statements like this Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. You are just. These are not too severe. These are right calls, these are right decisions. You are right and wise. This is the right protocol because of how wicked men will be. We are talking about an hour where men's sins and the rage against God will be so loud that it will be appropriate to judge men with these judgments because of how loud and, uh, and, and filled with hatred men are. You know, right now, most of the seeds of this hatred are already in mankind. The seeds are there, but the pressure point hasn't shown what's really on the inside of that grape yet. But when the pressure comes, men will be raging against God, the loudest, the most blasphemous things you can imagine. They will be be lashing out in murder of saints to get God. People will be murdering saints, not just because they hate saints, because they hate God. They will know who God is and hate him and decide, I hate you so much, I'm gonna kill a hundred of your Christians in order to get you. There there will be such rage in the human hearts. But again, right now, we all got our lattes. We're all good. We got our climate control. The worst thing we have to face in a week is some traffic. We're not pressed. When the pressure comes, God's ways will be deemed just and true and not too severe. All right, well, let's break up into some groups. And so wrap up those dialogues and uh, let's go ahead and move into our time of question. Um, we'll, uh, we'll start, do you guys have a question? Sure. All right, so uh, we're going to uh, repeat the questions. Uh, those of you who are in the room, you'll ask it and then I'll repeat it for those that are watching online so that they can hear it. Ready, go. My question is just a, a practical one. So like when all these things are happening, judgments on the earth via the church, like what is our role? How can we we? What are we going to be doing during that time? So practical question. When the judgments are happening, what is the church supposed to do? How does the church interact with that? Well, the first thing, God doesn't do anything on the planet without using his church to accomplish it. So these judgments aren't going to happen. They're going to happen because we prayed them in. The prayer movement is the releasing mechanism of the judgments. The reason we have the book of Revelation is because it's the script. We have the book of Revelation ahead of time because we know the second seal comes after the first seal. So we're going, Jesus, release seal two, and the global church will be in concert with the purposes of God, and then God's going to be moving and releasing his purposes. So part of what we're going to be doing is we're going to be partnering in prayer with the purposes of God, which are written out with great detail. We have more detail about that three and a half year period of time than we have about any period of time in the whole world, in human history. We have tremendous detail in the word of God about what's going to happen. And we're all people that love God and want the purposes of God. So we're going to say, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Oh, yeah, by the way, we know what that is tomorrow. Do seal two. So part of it is we're going to be praying. Second, we're going to be obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. We know that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit in a profound and significantly increased way than any time in human history. Right now we experience a significant measure of the Holy Spirit, but nothing like what is coming. Nothing. I mean nothing by comparison to what is coming. Where in a group of 100, 20 people will have the same dream, the same night that says, everybody needs to do this tomorrow. And then we'll follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we'll do what the leading of the Holy Spirit is. There will be significant leadership. God is not leaving us as orphans. The end times is not God, like, suddenly stopped being a father. Abba Father is releasing the end times. And Abba Father will be leading his church during the greatest season of judgment that the earth has ever seen. The church is not extracted from the conversation. The church is all up in the dialogue with God on earth, with men, the church is a significant part of the entire end time storyline. So the church is not, it's not like we somehow became unbrided and we're no longer the bride of Christ. We're going to enter into the fullness of our identity in the time of the greatest struggle and the greatest trial. The Holy Spirit is going to anoint the church with greater works than these. We will do things that are greater than what Jesus Christ did on the earth. Jesus said we would. John 14, 12, greater works than these shall you do. Hasn't happened yet. I don't know any of you walked on water lately. Jesus walked on water. Jesus calmed a storm at a word. You done that lately? I haven't. Then it says, anyone who believes in me will do these things. Well, that, Anybody? I, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's done those things. It's because that prophecy has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be. A time is coming when the church will be operating in the greatest amount of power and authority that the church has ever known. It just so happens it's the exact same time frame that men will be operating in the greatest amount of wickedness and heinous thought process and evil activity that's ever been. Greatest amount of authority, greatest amount of demonic attack. The same period of time. It is the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the church will be partnering. If you need a word, partnering. If God says pray tomorrow, we'll pray. If God says sleep tomorrow, we'll sleep. If God says, go left, we'll go left. The church will be partnering with the Holy Spirit in the most keep in step with the Holy Spirit sort of a way possible. And it's gonna work. And we are the bride of Christ. Christ is releasing the judgments. And so is his bride. The bride will be equally yoked and will be releasing the judgments in perfect tandem plan precision with Jesus. So it's not like we're gonna go rogue and do our own judgment thing. We're going to be in complete partnership and full submission to the purposes of God, and we're only going to grow in revelation of what those purposes are. So, what are we going to judge That's all part of the millennial period. So, great question, and we've got about five sessions we're going to spend on that subject. So, great question. Okay, so um, next uh, question over here. All right, we have two questions. Just do one. back at the end of the, the certain number of days 12 60 days so can you know the exact day and if so doesn't that isn't that in conflict with no man knows the day or the hour yeah my favorite question ever okay so um so it's a two-part question uh question one is um jesus said no one knows about the day or the hour if if jesus said that which he did he said that um, how then can Jesus come back at the end of the 1260 days? How can we, how can we know that? Okay, so, um, so first point. I'm in Matthew 24, reading Matthew 24, 36. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Most people stop reading their Bibles right at that sentence. But the entire passage is about knowing when Jesus comes back. The Bible doesn't say you will never know. The Bible says you don't know right now. But let me read you the very next phrase after that line that people say, see, we can't know when Jesus is coming back. Nobody can ever know. No one will ever know when Jesus is coming back. The very next line after only the father is verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. Now, it's very important we take to heart what Jesus said. Did Noah, when Noah was six years old, know the day of the flood? No. Did Noah know the day of the flood when God said, Noah, build a boat? No. But Noah knew the season when God said, build a boat. So now Noah has broken down. If, if, there, if the thought process was the earth is going to flood at some point in the future, and we know the end times, Jesus is going to come back at some point in the future, If the process is, it's going to happen at some point in the future, when God gives the prophetic act, boom, Noah, start building a boat. Now Noah knows, I'm going to be alive for this. I now know the season of time. But did you know, I think it's seven days, you can go read the account on your own, seven days before the flood, God said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth in seven days, get on the boat. So then Noah knew the exact day that the flood was going to come, but he did not know it before the season. Before, not just the season, before the the moment before. He didn't know before the seven days. I just did that. Seven days, seven years. I didn't even connect those dots. Okay, so so Noah knew seven uh, days before. And then Noah Noah was told, get all the animals on the boat. All right, he he spent those days doing that. And then he was told at the end of that, tomorrow I'm flooding the earth. Now, let's read it again. No one knows currently, right now, No one knows about the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, nor Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't know. Don't you think Jesus is going to know? He puts us in the same boat as himself. He says, I don't know. You don't know yet. Okay. Only the father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. Those that weren't paying attention. They're paying no attention to the prophet who's building a giant boat. They're paying no attention to the prophets in the earth that are declaring, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. They're paying no attention. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And the only way Noah knew to enter the ark is because God said, get in the ark, I'm flooding the earth tomorrow. Then, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So, So we've got one verse that says, no one knows current tense the day or the hour, and then the entire passage about is about how to actually know the day and the hour in the future. Okay, so it's I just want to tell you that that statement that that um, apologetic is grossly taken out of context. Not a little bit grossly. It's one verse that's out of context of the passage that it's in. And that, that that verse. Exactly, that passage actually means the exact opposite of what people say that it means. Then we've got dozens of verses that indicate timing. So we know that the great tribulation is 1260 days, 42 months, time, time, and half time. But let's just go with the days part. We know it's 1260 days. The great tribulation is 1260 days. What stops it? Why isn't it 1261, 1290, you know, 3 million? What stops the period of great tribulation? Jesus return Jesus comes back and stops it, so we do know we know the time frames we do not yet right now know when these things will happen, but when the peace treaty is signed between the Antichrist and Israel, we will know exactly how many days it is because it 's not twelve hundred and sixty days arbitrarily it 's twelve hundred and sixty days that the uh, the, uh, the sacrifice is uh, is cut short at the 1260 days. And so we know exactly how long it's going to be because the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty uh, with the nation of Israel, and that starts the seven year period. And the halfway point is when the Antichrist announces himself and makes things uh, tremendously more difficult. Next question. How can it be peace and safety if the the church is being persecuted? What did the world say, like, we recognize that there's this trouble for Christians, it's not peace and safety? So the the question is related to the peace and safety and how does that play in for the church and how does it, I'm going to change the question slightly because I think I'm going to get the root of what you're after, and that is the escalation of persecution. And how does that work and what is the time frame on that? Okay, so first of all, right now, the lost world doesn't really like the church, but we're almost irrelevant to the lost world. It's not like the, church, the lost people are sitting around going, I hate the church. They're not even thinking about the church. They're not thinking about Christians, okay, mostly. But that dialogue is changing. And there are a couple of buzz points in American culture. We'll just pick on where we live. There are a couple of buzz points, political points, uh, uh, points of righteousness, that that is changing. Where now people are saying, I hate Christians because they say this, they believe this, they preach this, okay? There are some things that are increasing. Jesus said that the persecution, it's not ever going to get better from here out. It's only going to get worse. But it's going to go from a little bit kind of uncomfortable to bad to worse to epic proportions bad to total full-on murder, everybody bad, to even worse. I mean, it's going to only get worse in the different seasons. So here's what we've got. From now to the beginning of the, the tribulation, remember tribulation, seven years. The first three and a half years of that tribulation is called just the tribulation, and it's a period of peace and safety. From now until the start of the seven years, persecution's going to increase. It's going to increase. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword into families. Said your brother gonna be against your mother and your dog against your cat. I mean, we're gonna have problems even in even in houses, okay? You're gonna have issues. It's the persecution's only gonna increase, but that increased persecution is gonna get even worse during the time of the first three and a half years of the, the tribulation period where. The world is going to be celebrating. They're not thinking about the church. The world, the majority of the planet. They're not thinking about the church and like, what does the church want? What does the church need? They're going to be thinking about mankind, fullness of sin. Let's go for it. The world hates disease, hates earthquakes, hates war, hates problems. The Antichrist will come in with supernatural anointing to fix many, 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 many many Big global problems. He will come in and for three and a half years, he will bring an end to war. You go, an end to war. Jesus said that war is gonna increase like crazy in the last generation. So I just wanna tell you right now, those of us who are comfortable with not having war, Jesus promised the world is gonna be filled with war. The Antichrist is gonna be the solution the world is gonna see to ending war. He's gonna bring peace peace and safety. The world is going to celebrate the Antichrist because of his capacity to end so much of the the politics, so much of the war, so much of the famine, so, so many of the issues. He's going to be the answer and that's why the world is going to see him as a Antichrist. They're going to see him as a Messiah because he's going to come and do Messiah stuff. He's going to fix problems. The church, however, during that period of time is going to go, your Messiah is the devil. Your Messiah is the worst human being who has ever been born in the history of mankind. He is the Antichrist, which our Bible prophesied was coming. We could have told you you were going to get a guy who fixed all the problems. The world is going to loathe that response. And the only way to be a faithful witness is to when, <clears throat> when the buddies are going, hey, what do you think about the new guy on TV? You got to go, that guy's the Antichrist. And that's going to make you very unpopular. It's going to be a season of peace and safety. It's, it's false because it's only got a time clock of three and a half years, but nobody, the, the lost world doesn't read their Bible. They're not going to know that. They're going to think it's really peace and safety because it's going to look and feel like peace and safety, but it's going to cause increased problems for the church. Persecution is going to increase. Then the second three and a half years, then the persecution increases a whole nother level. Persecution never gets good. It goes from bad to horrible to epically horrible. Persecution is only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. During the last three and a half years, that's when the Antichrist says, you guys thought I was a great political leader. I'm way more. I'm God. Worship me. I don't know that we really want to worship you. If you don't worship me, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Worship me. Most of the planet will worship him. The church is going to get killed. We're not worshiping him. And then the Holy Spirit's gonna do all sorts of Psalm 27, five things where <clears throat> the house of prayer is gonna make a lot more sense in that hour because Psalm, Psalm 27, four says, one thing I desire, one thing I seek of the Lord. This will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then Psalm 27, five, the next verse says, in the day of trouble, the Lord will shelter me in that very place that I was seeking him. So the, the concept of seeking him night and day and divine protection from bad guys, those two things will be very powerfully needed and understood in that hour in a way that we don't have any grid for right now. So, did I answer to the question? Good. Your question. So, um, during the Great tribulation, there's going to be a two instances. We're going to be doing assassin wonders and there's us, the church, be discipling. Uh, But are we still going to be, you know, working jobs, even though there's persecution going on and doing things like making money, you know, life. life. You're asking specifically about the second three and a half years. Yeah. So the question is during the second three and a half years, which is called the great tribulation, there's going to be all this judgment happening. There's going to be all this persecution. Uh, Right now, Uh, believers all over the earth have some semblance of normal life. Will some semblance of normal life continue during the Great Tribulation? For the most part, no. But you might have some pockets somewhere where things operate a little less intense. One thing we want to understand is the way that these judgments are going to work is it's not going to be blanketed Every square inch of the planet is treated the exact same, because uh, because Second Chronicle seven fourteen says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land." So we can know for a fact that where the saints pray, there is going to be the dirt will be treated different than the dirt ten feet outside. Okay, there will be places where God does things. Now, all that means is there's going to be a measure of variance. So is every town going to be treated the exact same? Well, what if there's a righteous town in South Texas where the, gov- where the mayor is a Christian and his, his council are Christians and they do daily prayer meetings and the, the city is being governed by righteousness? God's not going to send the judgments on that town like he's going to send elsewhere. It's one of the reasons that we have the picture of uh, Lot bargaining with the Lord was it Abraham? Abraham? Abraham. Bargaining with the Lord over uh, the measure of judgment. What if I can find you know, 50 righteous people? What if I can find 45? He bargained as well, all the way down to five. Because God will deal differently, not just with Christians, but even territories where believers are engaged with the plan of God. So uh, <clears throat> I would think you probably don't want to be planning on working your normal nine to five as a rule. Uh, there's going to be a hundred reasons why that won't work. But there'll be some places where the rules will bend a little bit. And you might just have some towns that are operating with a measure of normality, with a a measure of the economy working and and stuff. But the judgments are going to destroy most of the major cities. I mean, the judgments, giant 100-pound hailstones. I mean, there's going to be things coming and destroying cities. And when I-35 is destroyed... People don't drive down I-35 to get to their job. When the Antichrist has got his tentacles in Dallas-Fort Worth and he's got depots set up, worship depots, where you have to go and, and check your mark and everything, it's going to be really difficult to like get your paycheck and get it cashed at the bank because the bank is owned by the Antichrist. I mean, there's going to be a hundred reasons why it's going to be nearly impossible, but I don't want to rule out some places in some as the exception, not the rule, will have a measure of normalcy, but a measure. Because even them, if their TV works, they're going to know what's going on in the earth. And they're not going to be doing business as usual just by virtue of the fact that they're believers. They're going to be on their face. Let's put it this way. The normal response in that hour is going to be night and day prayer. That is going to be the only thing that as a default makes sense to every Christian. Night and day prayer. That is going to make so much sense, because night and day death is the alternative. Night and day judgments and plagues. Night and day get persecuted. Night and day everything horrible will be the norm. So the church's response will be night and day prayer as a norm. Just no one's going to have to tell the church to do it. The church is going to do it because it's going to be the only thing that makes any sense in that hour. All right, worship team, you can come on up. Great questions. This concludes this teaching from The Prayer Room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.